This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man Staten. This podcast is dedicated to blue-collar, hard-working public land elk hunters. We preach hard work, delayed gratification, discipline, and staying accountable to yourself. We value faith, family, fitness, fiscal discipline, and of course, public land elk hunting. So come along as we try to educate, motivate, and inspire you to become the best possible version of yourself. Our podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, performance you deserve. Fuel your body with the best. Use our discount code ELKSHAPE30 and save 30% off your first purchase. We are also brought to you by NUMA Outdoors. Geared for the outdoors, made with bow hunters in mind, built to over-deliver, and most importantly, designed to outperform. Check out numaoutdoors.com and be sure to use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your purchase. Matthews Archery. Elevating the archery experience. Take a test drive with the Matthews V3 31 or 27 at a local dealer near you. Vortex Optics. I've been partnered with Vortex since 2010. This company is awesome. They're American owned, veteran owned. They're based in Wisconsin. Their entire team of designers and engineers produce and distribute a complete line of premium sport optics, accessories, and apparel. Most of the apparel that I wear while training, scouting, and hanging out around the house is vortex wear go ahead and check it out and if you want to save 20 percent, enter the discount code elkshape at checkout and you'll save 20 percent. new from vortex in 2021 is their tripods the one i've been using in the backcountry is their summit carbon 2 and their radiant carbon and it also has a ball leveling head and it's perfect for rock solid shooting there is a tripod to fit everyone's needs from Vortex now, and it's still covered with their lifetime no-fault transferable VIP warranty. Check it out at VortexOptics.com. Hey, 
Howdy, folks. What's up? Dan the Fitness Man, Elk Shape Podcast, coming to you live from Pennsylvania. Today, we're bringing on Bob Terwilliger. This guy's 64 years young. He's a bad A cowboy guide elk hunter in Colorado for 30 plus years. He's going to drop straight knowledge bombs. It's fun to get living legends on the podcast, and that's what we have for you today. Check it out. It's going to be a great cast. Appreciate you guys' support. Separation is in the preparation. Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. What's up, y'all? I'm sitting down with a legend today. Uh, <laughs> do you get called legend much? Maybe. No. Bob Terwilliger out of Colorado. Not born and raised out of Colorado, though. Correct. But you've been living there for a while. Bob, welcome to the cast. Um, this is a cool little setup for us because I don't know you yet, but I got a feeling I'm going to get to know you pretty well after this weekend. Um, Bob's joining us for an Elk Shape Camp. Dirk Durham wasn't able to attend this camp. He's got a Portland show with him and Phelps slanging calls. And so what we're going to do is have you come in as a elk guide for many, many, many years, a wrangler, a horseman, a cowboy, and an elk hunter, uh, all those things. So welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good. Thanks, Dan. Real pro pleasure to be here and... Um feel really pr privileged to be able to join you guys and participate in this and can't wait looking forward to sharing experiences very excited to have you along for the ride um you know we have it's a big camp we're in pennsylvania we're about to help 30 individuals elevate their game the main reason i got you out to this camp is because most of these guys live in and around pennsylvania and, I mean, I know that there's technically elk here in Pennsylvania, but realistically, if they want to hunt elk, they got to head west. Right. And so we got to get to know your story, man, because you were and still are helping out with basically clients in Colorado, altitude, elk hunting, all that kind of stuff. So let's back up. When did you very first hear your elk bugle, like where you were like, Oh my gosh, that's what an elk bugle is? Like, when was that? Well, when I first heard it for real, it was when I moved to Colorado, which has been about 28 years ago now. Um, like you alluded to, you know, I grew up here in the Northeast. I grew up in upstate New York in the heart of the Catskills around Margaretville, New York. Hunting whitetails and wild turkeys and hunting elk was always a dream of mine. And little did I know that somewhere down the road later in life, I'd get an opportunity to do that. So... So what got you out west? Like, you could have stayed here in upstate New York, but what got you to pack your bags and head west, young man? Actually, uh, at the time, my job, I, I worked for IBM, and um, the location that I worked at shut down, and I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to move to Boulder, where IBM paid my moving and living, and um, it didn't take my wife and I long to realize that that was going to be one of the best things that ever happened to us. Okay. So you were in your 30s when you did made that decision. Yes. Uh, had you had kids yet? Yes. I had three kids. My three kids, you know, that was it. Was that tough on them making a move? Um, it was not tough on the youngest two. Um, my youngest daughter was only two, so technically she's a native Coloradan. Yeah. And my son was in just entering first grade. My oldest daughter was entering sixth grade. She had trouble with it. But, you know, now she's probably stronger than the other two she would never leave the rockies she loves it okay well you see you get there to colorado you're you're a whitetail hunter right just like these guys probably at this camp yep 
which I love whitetail hunting. I got love for it, but it's not elk hunting. Tell us about your individual elk hunting learning curve as a transplant. Well, yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, elk hunting is a far cry from from whitetail hunting. You know, whitetail hunting, you know, a lot of what you're doing is, of course, hunting on stand. And, um, you know, you got a good location. You're staying there all day. Elk hunting is far different. You're on the move. You're looking for the animals potentially in different places than you would for whitetail, you know, at first light. So a lot of differences and a lot of physical challenges that come with that. Well, I'm... I'm interested to know, like, when the horses came into the mix. But before we get there, like, your first couple of years elk hunting, did you rifle elk hunt? I mean, how did you do it? I, I archery and rifle hunted, you know, kind of a mixture of both. Um, in the beginning, I was hunting mule deer with the bow and had some success there. Um, wanted to kill one of those really big Colorado bucks, but didn't happen. And I was I was rifle hunting elk at the time because I was just learning. And um, also there was the aspect of, because I was new to the area, I didn't have partners to hunt with. I had concerns about how I would get an animal out in time, particularly in early archery, you know, without it spoiling and stuff. But as time went on, I learned to deal with that, of course. And um, So what was what year was it when you first started archery elk hunting? Um, 19, 1994, September of 1994. All right, so you hit the woods, 94. Yep. Um, I'm kind of jealous, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just missed the heyday back where, where I started elk hunting in North Idaho. I didn't start there till 2001 mm-hmm. and, uh, it was still really good then. It's nowhere near that now, like right. not even close. Yep. Uh, and, but from my friends and mentors, they told me that when I started in 2001, it was nowhere near what it used to be. We had a really bad winter in North Idaho. I think you guys probably had the same winter, 96, 97 winter. Right. Yep. And we had a lot of winter kill, mm-hmm. um, and we didn't have really a lot of wolves dropped in yet okay. that we knew about. And so after that winter kill, the numbers dropped quite a bit. But they kind of bounced back like they do. Uh, what was the heyday like for you in Colorado? I mean, give us an idea. Like, do you walk out your tent into six different herd bulls bugling with all their satellites? I mean, what were the densities like? What was the hunting pressure? What was it like then? You know, when I first moved to Colorado, there, you know, uh, archery season did not have a lot of pressure. Rifle seasons did have a lot of pressure because they didn't have the season segmented the way that they do today to try to better balance the hunting pressure. But you're correct that because there wasn't the hunting pressure back then that we have nowadays that, you know, it was far easier to run into elk talking every day than, than what we have today. And like you alluded to, a lot of times you'd be laying there sleeping in your tent and they're bugling in the park right alongside you down the, down the ridge, you know, and you can hear them all night long. It makes it pretty tough to sleep because of the excitement. <laughs> That's a good problem to have. Yeah. And that still happens. Like, I mean, definitely right. I get a few nights on the mountain where they're serenading, but not nearly like it has been in the past. All right. So back in your day, you started in 94. How long did it take you to get your first elk with a bow? Uh, my first elk with a bow didn't come till 95. I did kill my first bull, though, with the rifle in 94. Okay. So, and, you know, I spent, because I lived here, I had the luxury that, you know, of course, I did scouting, you know, and trying to learn about different areas. And then I zeroed in on where I hunted a good part of my life there now and, I, I can't tell you the amount of time that I committed learning to country through backpack, backpacking, fishing, 
you know, and just on those trips, getting out and hiking a bunch of country early morning at first light and trying to learn where elk hung and what their habits were. So in the 90s, were you the kind of guy that, like, you found your spot and you kind of stuck to your spots, or were you always wanderlusting and checking out other areas? I, I, I was more that I, f- I, I found my ground zero spot, but I what I did was because there's many drainages there, I branched out over time. So even though I was going to the same location, you know, I was branching out and trying to learn new country because that gave me the, the, the opportunity that as, you know, one year, if I wasn't finding elk in one area, you know, I'd keep moving until I found them. Okay. Finding elk's tough, uh, for sure. When did stock come into the game for you? When did you start becoming a cowboy? Um, I always had an interest in horses since I was a young kid, um, you know, and uh, so that was there all along. When I moved to Colorado, though, is when I really learned to ride good. I took some lessons to get me started and... Uh, you know, I even did some volunteer work up in Rocky Mountain National Park guiding trail rides. And that was really, as soon as I moved here, it was in 94 when I started getting involved with horses. And some of it I kind of learned. I was lucky <laughs> in the beginning, didn't have any wrecks, but came close. And, um, you know, I just took it from there, you know. Okay, so how many horses do you have now? I've got one horse and one mule that are mine. Okay. And, of course, I've worked with tons of others with the two different outfitters I've worked for over the years. Yeah, so being an, a guide and an outfitter, man, God bless you. That's a that's a lot of patience, uh, and you're trying to give them an experience. Right. And you're trying to, you know, they're, they're customers. Yes. And you're trying to provide great customer service. But we want to know, what what are you getting as clients and customers? Are you getting, like, the, the, the corporate exec guy who has very little time to prepare ahead of time? They show up. They, they're leaning on you heavily. Do you have maybe some blue-collar guys that really scrap together, get the money together, and they're help relying on you for an experience? Or do you have local Colorado people that just want to be dropped in further than they could hike in? Like, what kind of clientele were you were you servicing? Um, actually, it's all of the above, to be honest with you. You know, there's a mixture. there, And, and you know, a, a blue-collar, you know, certainly executives and stuff. But the one thing that – you know, the, the way I'll categorize them is, is that we have people that really should never go on a, an elk hunt unless it's a guided hunt because it is, a, it is a challenge and it requires a set of skills and a lot of the great stuff that you guys teach in these camps. Um, but some of those people are just never going to be capable or comfortable to do it on their own. And then there's others that, you know, I've taken on guided hunts that do were new to elk hunting and they wanted to learn the ropes and how to hunt. And those people, you know, transition to eventually drop camp hunters where then they would go and do it on their own. And I'm sure some of them now are doing do-it-yourself hunts, you know, but they, they used it for a learning curve. Okay. Where did the altitude come into the game for a lot of these guys that were coming out west and not they don't, they're not used to 10K plus and elk that cover miles and miles and miles from their feeding to bedding? Like, how did you mitigate that from a guide's perspective? You know, we talk a lot about it. I have a lot of conversations with clients and potential clients over the phone or via email. And, you know, we really talk about the physical aspect of of trying to get yourself in the best shape possible, um, because that's certainly a place to start. You know, whether that means losing a few pounds and doing some training, even for some guys, if they haven't trained much before, getting some help with that. Um, you don't have to be a world-class athlete, you know, 
to elk hunt, obviously, and be successful, but you are going to enjoy the experience a lot more if you come in good physical shape. Um, it's just going to help you deal with the altitude. And of course, if you have the luxury to get there a couple days early and, and, and acclimate, even come in, you know, somewhere between five to 8,000 feet before you go up to, you know, nine, 10, even 11,000 feet to hunt elk, that's, that's going to help you uh, enjoy your trip more. Did you ever have altitude just flat out get like halt a hunt or just guys stuck in the tent or worse yet, taking them off the mountain? Yeah, I've had that several times. I'm going to say that it's a very low percentage of people that get severe altitude sickness. And actually, I kind of uh, equate it to, it's kind of like getting seasick. Some people do and some people don't. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, the good news is, is that today, if you really have concerns about it, you can get a prescription from your doctor. Yeah. Bring it with you that if you need it, you know, you go once, you find out, you know, next time you go, maybe you don't need that. But, um, and it really can affect all kinds of people. I've seen it obviously affect people that are way out of shape where they just can't breathe. Um, and then I've seen, I've actually seen younger guys that appear in good shape, but the altitude, they have trouble with it and they get frustrated, you know, but I'm going to say that it's a very small percentage of guys that get impacted to the point where they're not going to be able to hunt. I've only seen that happen over the years. I've been guiding, you know, a handful of times. Getting them there is one thing finding the elk that's on you that's right. your back that's your back country like your right. personal backyard for for lack of a better term and then there's getting them set up as a guide and a caller for them to where they can get a shot and we've talked about this offline i mean you can set a guy up in the best setup possible make the, all the right sounds at the right time and pull that bull in on a string and your shooter slash client can screw everything up in a moment's notice. What are some of the biggest mistakes those clients made when you're just roping a bull into broadside 20? You know, I would say that some of the biggest mistakes is and what, what guys need to understand when you're calling and, and you've got somebody set up is that the bull is focused on the caller and where the caller is. So, you know, the guys that are set on stand, if you've got one or two hunters set up in front of you, you know, they're at an advantage because, you know, Caller's always going to be behind the guys in setup. And where the guys in setup can screw up, though, is that when that bull gets, you know, you want to get all your moving and get in position before that that bull is getting too close and and has the potential to see you. That's a mistake is moving at the wrong time because you got to understand when those bulls are coming in, they're, they're all eyes and ears looking for another elk. And if they see anything that looks suspicious, they're going to shut up and bolt. Um so that's moving at the wrong time is certainly can be a cardinal mistake. Another mistake can be, um, you know, I've had hunters before get up and try to move when I'm working a bull, you know, they don't, sometimes they come in really quick, but that's not the norm as you well understand. Most of the time it can take sometimes 45 minutes to get a bull to come in before you convince them with the caller moving around, you know, snapping sticks. I've even walked in water you know, rub trees, of course, all that kind of stuff to try to convince a mom another elk. And you really need that hunter to stay put because if they get up and they try to move, again, that's a way to blow the whole deal um, because the elk sees them, shuts up, and, and they go. And I've had that happen to me quite often over the years with guy the hunters because they just get excited. And um, it's frustrating because they're missed opportunities in my mind. Hmm. Okay, so these guys that uh... – 
get to camp and stuff, what, um, off the top of your head, like what are some of the most flawed pieces of gear these guys show up with? I know you give them a list ahead of time. I know you talk to them on the phone, but they still are human and they probably make a few poor decisions. What are some of those pitfalls? I'm going to say that the two biggest pitfalls are what you're wearing on your feet. Um, I've had guys actually slip and, and even get hurt with having the wrong, not having a good secure pair of boots on, or they get blistered up. They buy new boots and they don't take them out and go hike in them a few times before they go on their trip, take them new out of the box. And yeah, some of today's boots, you might be able to get away with that, but certainly with you're investing your time and money and something you look forward to your whole life to go on an elk hunt, I don't want to end up with blisters. So, and then the other thing I would say is, is weight. And, you know, weight of what you carry in your pack and weight of your clothing, you know, and a, and a great example of that is, is that some of the rain gear that you might use back here in the east, um, you might buy it at Cabela's or Bass Pro or whatever, and it's not bad rain gear, it's, it, it does its job, right? But when you're elk hunting in with the change of weather that you see in the Rockies where it can be beautiful blue sky one morning and in the afternoon get nasty thunderstorms and, you know, and hail and everything else and winds, um, you always have to have your rain gear with you. So rain gear is another one that if it's heavy and bulky, you know, a lot of guys will end up leaving that back at camp, which is a huge mistake because you end up getting wet and cold and you end up having to go back, you know. Mm -hmm. You guys still have a lot of midday rollers come in up in the high country in Colorado? Yeah. Like clockwork almost? Or? Yep. Okay. Is that about 2 o'clock? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, I have so many questions for you. I'm sorry. I'm just yeah, no, this you. is great. Um I guess I, I didn't want to get to this right away, but I'm going to have to. I'm looking at you. You're six foot three. Yeah. A lot of femur, a lot of legs. Mm -hmm. You look like you got a massive stride length and could go over downfall and leave me in the dust. <laughs> and what are you like, 63, 64 years I'm young? I'm 64. I'll be 65 this summer. You got veins shooting out of your biceps. You're lean and mean. You look... My dad's the same age as you. Uh, I love your dad, but you're not on Bob's level. Bob <laughs> and my dad's really good to go. Like yep. one of the most active dudes you've ever met for his age. Uh, but man, you're a physical specimen. I want to be like you when I get to 64. What are you doing? Oh, thanks. No, I, you know, I, I've been committed to exercise my whole life. I played a lot of sports when I was a young guy, competitive sports in high school and college and after. And, you know, as I started weaning my way off that, you know, regular trainings became very apparent that that was a way for me to break myself from the attraction of competitive sports and, and start to get away from that. Um, and it also helped me, you know, with my job because it helped me manage stress, raising a young family. You know, my wife and I were fortunate. We were able to raise three kids on basically one salary for a good part of our lives and exercise just played a key role in that, you know, along with diet, um, trying to eat well. I mean, not to say I don't, you know, I splurge now and then. Um, I don't consume a lot of alcohol. I drink, I, I love to have a glass of wine or a beer, but, you know, I keep it in moderation. So it's, it's those kinds of things. Well, you're doing something right. Uh, I think you're just a really active guy, really disciplined lifestyle. Uh, I, have, I haven't known you for 24 hours. I've just been observing and going, man, this guy's legit, uh, which is exciting. And so the idea behind today's podcast for me, guys listening, is that I wanted to get Bob on here about half hour before we had to go head out the door to go do the Friday night portion of our Elk Shape Camp. And then I want to hop back on here when we get back tonight. We'll be tired, sure, but and just get 
another 20 minutes in, seeing what you thought, how we did, what you learned, what do you think these guys need, and then we'll go execute Saturday, get you back on Saturday night, talk about what you taught, what you saw, what you observed, and how we're making these guys better. And then these guys that are listening to this podcast can kind of get get something out of this. Um, and then maybe we can record one more time Sunday as we're driving to the airport. I'll make Jeff drive, and we'll hop in the back seat and just – record a final little 20 minute piece on recapping what you learned but which is cool so let's finish with uh guys we're headed to the elk shape camp in lancaster pennsylvania and we got 30 guys we got joel turner coming in and you haven't met joel right no no i have not joel's joel's way up there on elk sounds and vocalizations um i'd say uh to his core he's a teacher yeah he's a really good instructor he's he's he he understands how to help people and teach them uh he can come across a little brutal a little harsh but uh, he comes from a place of love, and it's part of his process. You'll see that when he works on their shooting tomorrow, and then we'll get to hang out with him tonight a little bit. But he's a good dude, man. Uh, he's helped me out with camps in the past, and he's going to be an integral part of this camp with the shot process. Most people have some degree of target panic. Yep. Most people have not had any proper instruction on shot execution and just technique right. when it comes to archery. And then there's always a few – at camp that just straight up know how to shoot a bow and that's fine. We'll, we'll figure out what else they suck at, you know, yeah. I mean? whether it be elk calling or fitness or their finances. So, yeah. Um, so for your take going into today, what you saw the itinerary, do you kind of understand what we're doing tonight? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. Um, the e-scouting stuff that we're going to go tonight. Uh, do you do much e-scouting? I, I do some, um, not at the level that, that guys back here are going to need to do it, but that's because I have the luxury that I live where I hunt. Right. So I do do some e-scouting to get ideas about new places that I want to hunt or check out. Um, you know, and it, it's a really effective way to, to cut down time and, and also miles for me, even, you know, when I go out and, and, and then physically scout on the ground, you know, there's some stuff that I'm able to eliminate and also you know, potentially see the easy way in and out of places too. Cause that's another key thing about elk hunting, of course, is, you know, as you begin to learn country, it's understanding the easy way in and the easy way out as well as the, the best way to go in. So you don't disrupt, you know, the elk as well. Yeah. Getting in and getting out undetected with an advantage, not only with the wind, but yep. whether it be visually mm -hmm. or for listening purposes and then figuring out how to move in on the elk or when to move in on the elk. That's everything. It's a big puzzle. Yep. A lot of these guys are going to come to your state. Like, I live over in Washington State. I'm way over there. Yep. People don't come to Washington from Pennsylvania to elk hunt. And if they do, it, it probably was a poor decision or just a last resort. <laughs> they just wanted to elk hunt, which I tip my hat to anyone. I'd rather see you elk hunt a state like mine than not elk hunt at all and miss a season. I think elk hunting is super finite, and you can't afford to just hold out for some great tag and have very little experience once you get that tag. So the truth is they go to your state. Yes. You got unlimited over-the-counter elk tags at the time of this recording. Yep, true. So how crowded are your woods, man? You know, it, it, it really depends. I mean, certainly certain areas are really crowded, um, you know, but the thing to remember is, is that a lot of these guys don't get that far from the trailhead. So, you know, if you're willing to go and push a little bit further, um, you know, you can, get, you can still get away from people. It just, it just takes more work. 
It just takes more work. So the uh, like trailheads that you pull up with your horse trailer, mm -hmm. and you unload your horse and mule. Like, how many other trucks are parked at the trailheads? Oh, you know, sometimes there might be eight, ten other trucks there. You know, but I I, I still f manage to get away from people. Okay. You know, and what I'll say is, I mean, this isn't always the case, but the people that you find in, in the more remote country are going to be more respectful hunters that if I run into you and you run into me, we might talk, but then we're going to go opposite directions, you know, where the, the guys that you find that are closer out sometimes are not, you know, aren't as willing to work as hard. They're, they're you know, they're not going to be as flexible. Maybe I guess is probably the right word flexible i like that How, so have you ran into some pretty bad eggs in the backcountry or for the most part do you have no horror stories um i did run into some bad eggs once um this was actually during the first rifle season and uh this this is not a good story this is something that as hunters we need to stick together to, to defend against but my friend had killed a bull in um the day before and we got it quartered and hung up in a tree and went back the next day because when he killed it, it was late by the time we got it processed. And at that time, we didn't have the packs that we do now where we can, you know, hunt with them and then throw a quarter on. So we came back the next day with freighter frames and during the middle of the day, and long story short, we had some guys that were up on a ledge up above us where we got this elk, and um, they were shooting in the trees above us. So Really? Yeah, that was a, that was a mess. Just trying uh, to get you off the mountain? Or? Trying to get us off the mountain, yeah. Okay. Wow, yeah, you just never know. I mean – you just never know. I told you earlier, some guys get crazy over elk hunting to the yep. point where they do things that's outside their character. Yep. Uh, but I like what you said there. We're all kind of trying to stick together, united. Those are all good things. You've been trying to get your boy a bull, his first archery bull last few seasons. Yep. And you guys have almost got it done. Um, take us through that process, help mentoring your son. He's fairly new to archery right yeah he is he is fairly new to archery he's been archery hunting this will be his fourth year um and uh you know i would say the biggest thing that i've really worked on him is is the mental preparation of preparing for a shot and that's one of the things i know you guys talk a lot about um which is great because i that's a point that can't be overemphasized um the shooting practice that's involved you know a lot of guys get in the habit they go to the archery range and they shoot their bow at 20 or 30 or 40 yards whatever they shoot and they shoot that all day long and they can shoot the bullseye out but then you take them out you know and you start shooting at those odd distances and maybe in real hunting sh positions and um you know that's where the problems come on so it's a lot of that mental and physical prep i've been working on them and the, the other thing that I'll, I'll share that I, I think is invaluable we have today with social media with guys like Born and Raised and, and of course, Dirk and, and, and Jason and their hunts, you can learn a lot by watching those videos. And, you know, it's great to see the elk, but watch what the hunter is doing. I mean, watch the location of the bull, you know, what the hunter's doing, when he's, what moment is he picking to draw, you know, all those little things. So that it's a lot of that I've been trying to preach to my son as well. Um, as well as the last thing I'll say is that uh, I'm teaching him to call because it's going to get to the point where dad's on sit and he's calling oh. and he's getting pretty good call and he's getting close. <laughs> the tables are turning. Yeah. <laughs> What's your son's name? Rob. Rob, I hope you're listening, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> 
And we're going to interrupt this podcast for a quick little message from Black Rifle Coffee Company. These guys make amazing coffee here in the U.S. and they're veteran-owned and they're proudly American and unapologetic. I appreciate that. If you guys are interested in joining their coffee club or picking up maybe some swag, ready to drinks, or check out that new Flying Elk Roast flavor, use the discount code ELKSHAPE and that'll save you 15%. Also, Kafaru International. This is the backpack of choice for elk hunters. I use the Hoodlum or the 44 Mag. You guys need to check out Kufaru International if you are serious about packing out large loads of perfect protein off the mountain. Head over to kufaru.net to learn more. We're also brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the number one hunting GPS app. I've pretty much gone away from using an old school GPS. Obviously, I still carry like an inReach, but all my hunting maps are stored and executed with the Onyx. This is the fastest downloading offline maps out there as well as the most resilient bulletproof not going to crash on you when you need it most i run tracking most days while elk hunting and i found onyx to be the most reliable hunting gps app out there check it out today and finally baku e-bikes these are e-bikes made for hunters by hunters this is a game changer for elk hunting as well as bear hunting checking your tree stand trail cams getting in and out quietly. I rock the mule. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE to knock $300 off your purchase. And if you do that, you might as well just go ahead and apply that discount towards a folding cargo trailer so you can put your elk quarters and haul them out back to the truck. Uh, Time to start practicing those calls. And that's one thing that we do at these camps is really try to help them produce decent sounds and help them understand you don't have to be a Jason Phelps or Dirk Durham to call elk in. I'm living proof. I don't sound nearly as good as those guys. Yep. But elk vocalizations, you just need to know the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And you need to kind of know. It's almost like fishing. You're almost throwing out different lines and lures to figure out what they're biting that day. Right. And then being able to pivot to get them excited and come into within bow range or whatever. And that's really fun. You're going to hear Joel talk a lot about his tactics and they're very they make sense and they're they make they're different than most people's like he's very much into calf sounds he's very much into uh he calls it bull calling cows where the herd bull will call to his cows so it's a very short lip ball kind of vocalization um it's a not a like he doesn't worry about talking to the bull that he's trying to call in. He's trying, he will try to talk to that bull's cows. So he's very into calling in the herd bull, which okay. a lot of guys say can't be done. Uh, and he will counter and say, no, that's all I do. Uh, and then guys like me that are like, yeah, most herd bulls are pretty smart and older and, um, they might go the other direction as soon as I make a sound, you know? So you just kind of, it depends on where you're hunting, but I'm very excited to do a recap with you after we hear his his spiel. It's pretty cool, and he's pretty good at making elk sounds. No, I can't wait to meet him and, and, and talk to him and learn, and learn some of the things he's doing because that's one of the great things that we have in this is that the sharing information among different tactics about what works for one guy, you know, it's just another it's just another set of tricks to add to your arsenal when, when things aren't going well, you know. I believe that. And I think the more tricks we can give these guys, the better. So they're never just sitting there scratching their heads going, well, what should we do now? Like, 
maybe we will try to decoy on this next set. Yep. Or maybe we'll just do a lot more raking. Or maybe we need to get closer before we make it. You know, there's just – elk hunting's hard. Yep. And no. I think both of our goal for this weekend is to let them know that we're going to give them all this great information and resources. But, like, this is what I wanted you to finish today's podcast on is it doesn't matter how much you know and how good of a archery shot you are or a good caller or how fit you are more or less you have to be a hard worker because elk hunting is work no doubt tell us about that well i'll say that um probably the best example i get is that when i moved out here you know i've i've had some friends that i hunted with over the years and some of them have come out and elk hunted and they've been back again and then i've had others that came out once and we were successful and they never came back so i think that says a lot about the the physical work you know it's and it's uh, it doesn't just start with getting into your hunting country. It's once you get something on the ground, then the work really starts. You know, I mean, getting a skin quartered, you know, and packed out is is some work because you even with horses and mules, you can't always get them to where you kill elk. So yeah, yeah, it is work. You're kind of signing up for this labor of love. Uh, it's a grind. I don't know. I think that's what I love about it. Honestly, is I I just want to go get kicked really hard for 10 days or whatever and i'm like thank you sir may i have another like this like i want (laughs) to feel like i want to quit i like that feeling of man this is hard i was telling you in the truck last year i did i had hunted 14 days straight i had three tags in my pocket and i hadn't killed an elk and by about day 11 or 10 i was literally going to my cameraman don't even know how i have ever killed an elk i don't even know what i don't feel like i even know what i'm doing now and that is so cool to have something that you just can't master. No, I, I agree. And it's the physical challenge that has kept me going over the years and just testing myself and, you know, with first doing it myself and then being able to take others out that maybe wouldn't be capable and, and helping them get in a bull. And there's, for me, nothing's been more rewarding than I get a guy that maybe isn't in the best physical shape but has the heart and the mind that wants to get it done and you hunt hard for four or five days, and they finally kill a bull. And you watch these guys, some of them, they literally break down in tears because it's, it's just such an emotional accomplishment for them, you know, and it's, it's just cool stuff. That's just super special. Yep. Well, guys, we're headed to the Oak Ship Camp. We're going to kick it off. Um, we're going to – next thing you hear will be me and Bob sitting down after day one, and we'll do the same thing after day two and the same thing after day three. We'll smash it all into one podcast Hopefully you guys get some stuff out of this. So we'll catch you in about 30 seconds. We So you guys just heard us leave, but we've just been gone for, well, 2 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 6 hours. We're done. We did day one, Elk Shape Camp. Bob, will let you talk. Like, what, what did you see? What did you learn? What did you experience? It was just an awesome experience. You know, I really, I like, first of all, I like the energy that you bring to it. Um, and also the comprehensive comprehensiveness of the subject matter that's going to be covered in this camp I think is just awesome I mean particularly for guys that don't live in elk country the kinds of things that you guys cover I mean it's very well thought out very well put together I mean I just I can't wait to go through the thing it's it's going to be a great experience yeah it was cool to meet the guys I mean we have so 30 people and there's not a lot of locals a lot of guys drove right from neighboring states which was which is great but man these guys are they're serious. I would say as far as the shooting goes, like there was some pretty good shooting going on. A little bit better than I thought it would be. 
we had an elk target, guys, out to, I think the further shot was 80. Yeah, 80. Whoa. Came in there. The further shot was 80, and that guy made a great shot. But um, a lot of guys lost arrows. We had a steel elk target. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. I would say I think only 10 guys actually hit the target. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, in, in in fairness, there was some very serious wind out there. Absolutely. S certainly if we were shooting a game, we wouldn't have been shooting that far in that mm -hmm. kind of wind. But, you know, I will say that – um a lot of the guys that did miss and hit the metal target, they, they were close, you know. Um, so I, I think I would agree. I think there are some good shooters in this group for sure. Yeah, so tomorrow we're going to be doing um, Joel Turner's in town. He made it tonight. Uh, you'll get to hang out with him and see his presentation. He's going to do his, you know, controlled shot process spiel tomorrow. It's really exciting. And then, um, I mean, even tonight he showed up at the very end and was able to answer some questions guys were asking about what you know what piece to carry in in g bear country and i know i'm kind of curious what i carry 44 mag but i've been looking at those 10 mms for a while and he had some good some really good tips for the guys on how to actually practice with it and know how to use it when right yeah but tomorrow we got you um doing station number three which is called heading west what are you going to cover in your 45 minutes, like, overview? Um, I'm going to cover stuff that's really going to help guys, particularly here from the East Coast, that as they come out West, some of the things they need to be prepared for, you know, from everything from dealing with altitude, um, you know, talk a little bit about gear, not get into a lot of detail, but talk about some of the gear essentials, um, you know, really coming physically and mentally prepared. You know, a lot of guys get it about, you know, or at least think they understand the physical aspects of it. But I'm going to argue that the mental preparation in terms of what you're going to put yourself through and also some of the things that you cover in this camp about being mentally prepared for a shot opportunity. Because let's face it, you know, archery hunting's tough. And you get out there and you get an opportunity. You want to certainly make sure that you take advantage of it. So those are the some of the primary things I'll get into. Those are so important. Everything you just said there especially for these guys. Um, okay, so you were kind of a fly on the wall. We introduced you tonight, but you were, you've were you never been to this camp. Um, right. Give me, like, your top five list of, like, things that we brought up that you were like, oh, crap, I didn't know they were going to bring that up, but I'm really glad they did. You know, I would say, like, right up at the top of the list that, that you cover and, and you dwell on is that if you want to be successful at this and you and also just if you want to enjoy your hunt, I mean, elk hunting is a year-round commitment. I mean, it's a year-round commitment on all fronts. Yes. Um, you know, you talked about everything from managing your home life, you know, to the financial stuff that I know that Jeff is going to get into, and then just the the whole aspect of preparing all year for what you love to do and go get that opportunity that you're going to spend your hard-earned money on. You know, that that's the stuff that I thought was, a you know, a really strong message to the guys that are coming here from back east and going to be hunting elk did you hear any questions asked tonight where you were like oh i did not think about that i'm glad they asked that um i don't know that i can't think of one off the top of my head but you know i'm sure there will be that kind of stuff as yeah. we get into it yeah the old man certainly well guys kind of cool to just check in real quick the next time you hear us come on it'll be 
uh, on the after day two, which is a full eight, ten hours of instruction. And we'll get Bob's take on what, you know, what he saw, what he evaluated, what he learned, how he, you know, he's going to get more time with guys in the groups asking him directly. So it's going to be like tomorrow you're going to be armed with, okay, Dan, here's what I taught him. Yep. Here's what I was seeing. Uh, and hope we just make these guys more successful in the, in the woods, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, probably the other thing I thought about here as you were talking again that I thought was cool is that when the guys were shooting, the, the aspect of putting pressure on them, even though it's different pressure from having a bull in front of you, still dealing with that pressure when you're getting a shot. I mean, you know, the one guy, for example, didn't put the string to his nose, you know, mm -hmm. and that was certainly from being nervous. And those are the kinds of things that you want to try to iron out before your hunt. And I know that this camp is focused on those kinds of things and helping people be better prepared. Yeah, I agree. And Wow, these guys, this is a very motivated group. Yep. Uh, Jeff and I have been, just helped me out with all my camps, and uh, I know we're going to talk after we get off here, but uh, this camp's fired up. These guys are, like, we should have known. We should have known. It's Pennsylvania. There's more bow hunters in yep. Pennsylvania than anywhere else, and uh, these guys are diehard and ready to go. And I would say that this bow shop is like no other I've ever seen. I okay, mean, I'm glad you mentioned unreal. that. Like, we need to back up. Lancaster Archery is the most ridiculous bow shop I've ever been to in my life. I, I, I'm with you 100%. I mean, it's just an incredible complex. You walk in, you got to go fill out a kiosk and take a number and decide where if you want to go down to the techno shoot, the, the indoor range, the outdoor range, the yep. other outdoor range, the other outdoor range, the indoor range. I mean, Cinnamon Creek's pretty cool in Texas, mm -hmm. but it's not like – it's just different than this. This is like you can't even like the bow shop. I can't even tell you like that's that was certainly the nicest bow shop I think I've ever been to. Yeah, I mean, they and they just had everything in there and you could tell they had a lot of professionals in there that know what they're doing. So, yep, they and they got us in a completely separate building that's so well set up and cared for. I mean, the attention to detail was there. Yep, they were ready for us. And uh, hopefully these guys are ready for us tomorrow. So no, I'm looking forward to it. Going to be an awesome camp. All right, guys, when we come back on, we'll have spent uh, day two together, and we'll talk to Bob more and pick Bob's brain so you guys can learn stuff. All right. Okay, guys, uh, ooh, day two in the books. We just walked in the Airbnb. Bob, here we are, checking back in with you, day two. Uh, it was a good day. It was moving day. We cover so much ground about elk hunting and archery. How'd it go? I, I thought it was fantastic. I just had a blast. Um you know, I thought it's the first time I've seen Joel do his presentations, and I just can't say how extremely impressed I was. I mean, it's one thing to have the knowledge, and I'm going to say that about these camps that I've seen. I've been to a number of different clinics and presentations over the last 30 years at sportsman shows and whatnot. And it's one thing to be knowledgeable about elk hunting, um, and certainly there's a lot of that here, but... It's another thing to be able to teach it and share it in a way that it's usable information for these guys to take home and build upon. And I, I just, I can't tell you how impressed I was today with how it went and also watching the reaction of the students in the, within the camp. What was cool is we got to like uh, debrief with the, the entire camp. There's 30 guys here and we got to debrief with them and say, okay, hey, what stuck out with you today? What was your main takeaways? Uh, hands down, it was the shot process. Yes, with Joel. Yep. Um, one guy mentioned the hunt budget stuff. 
a couple guys mentioned the shooting under duress with me, but that was mainly me just putting what Joel just taught them and adding stress and seeing if they could put the rubber where the rubber meets the road. Um, And a couple guys said with you, so what exactly did you cover in your presentation? Um, My presentation was really focused on helping guys better understand um, the challenges and some of the things that they're going to need to plan for for a trip out west. Covered a lot of that kind of stuff, you know, from everything from dealing with altitude, dealing with the weather, the kinds of clothing and gear, and really how to prioritize what, you know, everybody's got a limited budget. What would I prioritize on my gear list at the top of the list and why? Um, and then, you know, getting into some of the key differences of hunting, for example, whitetails here in the east versus hunting elk in the west and some of the things that they're going to need to be mentally prepared for. That's one of the things I really like about the stuff that, you know, we're drilling upon these these folks is the mental preparation that goes into these hunts and the mental checklist you need to go through, you know, when you're setting up for a shot opportunity, the shot stuff that Joe did today or Joel did today and so on. Mm, okay. So I know for a fact that I got to catch the last tail end of your one of your presentations, which I was I'll be able I filmed it. I'm putting it on the Elk Collective. Yep. Um and the Elk Collective is just an opportunity to have as many different elk hunters present information on elk hunting. Super yep. invaluable to get several different perspectives. Not only regionally, because mm-hmm. you primarily hunt Colorado, I yep. primarily hunt Idaho. There's nuances there. Yeah, absolutely. But what I heard you say was like some such a good like perspective on just the mountain. You were talking wind and how it is manipulated in Colorado specifically. Let's touch on that real quick for those listening. Um, the wind can be a lot different in Colorado versus other states. Go ahead and go through that a little bit. Yeah, so, I mean, there's obviously a lot of things that can affect the wind in terms of the weather pattern that we're in. If we're in a standard, what I'll call a high-pressure system, where in, in the mornings generally we're going to have, I don't care where I'm hunting, generally I'm going to have wind out of the northwest. I'm going to have my thermals to deal with in the morning where, my, you know, the cold air is still sinking down into the lower valleys. You know, a lot of times in Colorado, um, during the early archery season, those elk are feeding up at tree line or a little above tree line. Um, so a lot of times in the morning, I'm either going to be either beneath them where I can see in glass and figure out how I'm going to get to them, you know, if I hear them bugle or, you know, on the same plane. But I'm going to be very careful that I'm not going to be, you know, up above them and worried about, you know, scent. Okay. And then the middle part of the day, of course, as, as the air starts to warm, the thermals start to shift up. So you've got to be, you've got to be on your toes about that, you know, in terms of the country that you're hunting. And then the same thing goes a lot of times with these elk bed is in these mountain bowls where once the air temperature warms up, these winds, they just swirl in these bowls and that's that's why the elk are there because they know they're safe there that you're not going to be able to get to them without them smelling you that's so important because a lot of hunters hear about midday madness hunting the elk in their bedroom because the cows are bedded the bull's gonna gonna have to defend but a lot of times it's just a no-go a no-go situation where you can't really make a move because you are going to educate you are going to blow them up and get winded because of the swirling winds um, so that was, that was huge. And you guys have those midday rollers come in, in we, Colorado, almost yeah. like clockwork. Yeah, we do. We've got, uh, you know, every afternoon it's fairly normal in the fall to get a thunderstorm and it can get pretty testy. Generally they're gone though in a fairly sh- short time. And, um, 
Actually, what I'll say is this, after those nasty storms, particularly if they come later in the afternoon, um, that those evening hunts can be really good because once that storm moves out, generally the temperatures cool down, the elk like that, and, then, you know, that the bulls will be firing up. Mm, that's great. Uh, so we talked about this. This is where we'll finish. Like, you're a student for life. I am as well, always learning. I learn things today. Somebody like you who's hunted for 30 years, what did you learn today? What stood out to you that you took your takeaways? You know, I, I, the, the takeaways that I came away with today, certainly some of the stuff that Joel was covering on, you know, on Shot IQ. I mean, those are things that I'm going to take home and I'm going to focus on myself and obviously share with my son and my son-in-law who both bow hunt. Going to definitely do that. And then some of his elk calling strategies, some of the stuff he talked about was different than things that I've done. And I could definitely relate to situations where I've had bulls hang up and stuff. And I'm going to try some of the stuff that Joel's talked about that he's been so successful with. So I definitely came away with some new tricks and uh, that are going to be in my arsenal this fall. Okay. Tomorrow's day three. We cover a lot of fitness, a lot of nutrition, biometrics, injury prevention, um, and shoulder work. We're going to have a, a subject matter expert come in who's kind of a physio and specializes in archery injury prevention as well as regeneration, restorative type measures for the shoulder health. We won't be there for that, unfortunately. We're going to be on an airplane. We're going to miss that, but we're going to have that. But we are going to have our four stations tomorrow where guys are going to get with Joel and get instruction on how to make these sounds that he taught today. Guys are going to meet with Bynum and go over their fiscal fitness so that they can afford to go hunting and create more passive income because elk hunting is expensive. Well, they're going to meet with you and go over locating elk. Yep. And they're going to meet with me and do more like individualized nutrition prescription. What are you doing on your locating elk? Give us a preview. Um, with locating elk, I'm going to talk about some of the characteristics of key elk, elk country. Um, being able to recognize that and some of the things that, you know, to look for that elk, you know, where you're typically going to find elk. I'm going to talk about the importance of just because you find good country, are the elk there, you know, fresh sign. I mean, Joel touched on this today, you know, if I'm, if, and I'm the same way, if I'm in an area and I'm not finding fresh elk sign, I don't care how good it looks, I'm, I'm moving, I'm going on, I'm, I'm going on to the next drainage. Um, when I get into elk, you know, being smart about how I hunt them. I don't, you know, one of the toughest parts about hunting elk on public land sometimes can be locating them. And when I locate them, I want to, I want to play my cards right so that I maximize my opportunity to kill a bull, you know, and some of that can also be, you know, assessing, you know, if, if things aren't right, for example, with the wind and I can't get to the animals on a given day, assessing their movements, trying to put them to sleep at night, for example, where, where are they going to be in the morning and then get back there the next day and slip in and hopefully kill a bull. Yeah, I thought uh, it was important to kind of like let Joel do his thing. And then for me, I don't have Joel at a lot of my camps. He's got a real job. Yep. But he certainly should do this for a living. He's so t good Absolutely. Absolutely. But I like to come in right after he's given a lecture and, like, make sure these guys don't breeze over some of the golden nuggets he just dropped on them. And one of them was definitely, like, don't hunt elk day after day after day the same elk. Like, right. your odds are going down by the day. Yep. And your first impression is your best impression when it's when you're talking about elk. Right. Absolutely. Um what other things did like nuggets that we we talked to the campers like hey did you catch this did you remember any of those? Um, 
you know, I, I th- I'll go back to his, his shot IQ presentation. I thought that that was really, really good. Um, you know, about very methodical about how you actually execute the shot. You know, it's all in the trigger pull. It's not in the aiming. That, that definitely stuck with me. And then um, I'm going to say that the other one for me was his strategy for, you know, going about dealing with midday madness, you know, with, you know, the uh, the calf calls and, you know, the, the soft bugles. I mean, those are definitely strategies that are going to be in my plan this fall. Yeah, he does it. So for those that haven't heard Joel's spiel, it's very much the humanization of elk, um, the very primal human behavior and that he has observed as a police officer and relating that to us as humans and how elk are pretty primal. Like if you want to pick a fight with a bull, which is generally what elk calling boils down to right. is playing on a bull's desire to breed or defend his breeding rights. Exactly. And to pick a fight in a bar, the fastest way to do that is to go talk to some, some guy's girl. Yep. Don't talk to him, but go get caught talking to his girl he's going to be in a position to have to do something about it. And sometimes it's going to be yelling at you, which is bugling back and challenging. Right. And then if that doesn't work, it could be taking, you know, a trash can and throwing it on the ground and displaying or taking your shirt off or acting tough. Right. Displaying like which elk do. And then sometimes it's just like a stupor, like coming in ready to fight eyes glazed over. I'm going to fight you for the right. You know, you're talking to my girl. I've had enough. Right. And that's kind of – he's got a great angle. So if you guys haven't heard that, it's on the Elk Collective as well. But Joel's uh, phenomenal. I'll try to get him on this podcast real soon and refresh that stuff. His protocols are awesome. His stuff's very logical. Uh, he's a huge asset at these camps. And so are you. And so I'm excited about tomorrow. We'll check back in, guys. So the next time you hear us, it'll be another day later. We'll be in the re- rental car hustling to the airport. And Bob and I will be recording the final piece of this podcast. Thanks for listening. All right, Bob, we did it. We're in the airport. We did Elk Shape Camp. Um, so you got the full meal deal. As of Thursday, I didn't know you. As of Sunday night, I feel like I've known you for 10 years, man. So. Yeah, it's, I had a great time. Likewise here, I I really enjoyed everybody and the crew that you got. I, I can't tell you how impressed I was, you know, with the delivery, with the professionalism, with the knowledge and the ability to teach and this group of students was just unreal. These young men in camp, they, they worked their tails off, and um, they just sucked it all in. It was, it was a really great experience. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming out. So you, you had a good time. What, what stood out to you today being the day where we actually go to the gym? You know, first of all, I, I was really impressed with the workout that you put the guys through, and, um, you know, I thought it was great. I thought it emphasized the right things that, for the way people need to train in terms of elevating the heart rate and, and the speed, the power, the strength. Um, and then the other thing I'll say is that the way that the guys worked, you know, kind of felt like we were in football camp back in high school because everybody's cheering one another on, clapping for one another and pushing each other to go that extra mile. So that was great. Yeah. And, and honestly, I don't have turf at a lot of the gyms I go to. So for those listening, like we – we straight up kind of hurt them a little bit on the turf drills because, well, we were doing sled pushes, and sled pushes can bring out a lot of pain. 
you know, a lot of lactic acid right away. And those guys competed for a prize. And it was kind of cool to see the, the guys who won because they were competing for a brand new pair of vinyl harnesses from NUMA. Right. And the guys who won it ended up giving it to basically a guy at camp who, you know, just has it harder. He's a single dad, five kids, and he wants to go elk hunting. And yep. I think they just recognized, hey, man, this guy could use this bino harness way more than, than me. Yep. That selflessness stuff, man, that doesn't get old. Uh, let's talk about Joel Turner, you know, behind his back a little bit. Like, I don't, th- I think he's the most underrated guy out there. I love when he can come to camps. And you, you saw it for yourself. Like, what's your thoughts just seeing Joel do his thing? You know, the part that's impressive of him, of course, at first is that I'm going to say he's a very humble guy. Very humble. Um, his skills are off the charts. But, you know, what's even just as impressive as his skills is his ability to teach. You know, that's a real art. That's 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 a gift. You know, there's a lot of guys out there that know how to do things themselves, but to be able to pass it on to others in a way that's in an effective manner and have them pick it up quick, he, he's just got the total package. Mm. What, and it was nice to bring, you know, bind him in and actually have those guys absorb what he was trying to explain to him, explain to them that, hey, you can't just think about today. you got to think about tomorrow and how are you going to set yourself up to elk hunt more, which costs money and time. Right. And uh, not everybody at these camps appreciate that, but I felt like these guys were right there at the edge of the seat, like really digesting that financial, that fiscal fitness side of things. A- a- absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I felt like this, this camp of young men you had where they were tuned in on every subject. I mean, and, and every one of them on every subject. You know, I know the two sessions I did, People ask really good questions, um, you know, and we talked about stuff that was even outside of my presentation. So they were there to learn. They were there to take in everything that, that you guys brought to the table. So mm, I love that. So at the end, we were asking some of our guys, because we had them in stations. We, you know, we had a big group. We had to rotate. And, hey, what are you going to stop doing? What are you going to start doing? What are you going to modify? And, you know, the, the couple of things that really stood out to me were not the I mean, I get that I'm going to start shooting my bow with determination and controlled shot. I understand that. Like, that's what we were trying to teach. But the guys that were like, I'm going to start giving my wife her September. I'm going to start, like, showing more interest in my wife's things that really tickle her and get her excited about life. Yep. And that, to me, is really rewarding because that is a recipe for you to have a a very um, – successful marriage which you know something about you've been married for 43 43 years this october 1st so how have you done it looking back as an elk hunter for all those years and literally being gone for a month plus yeah how how have you had to be able to have a successful marriage you know it it really taught starts with effective communication and commitment to one another and and you know putting the time in at home with with your spouse and with your kids and everything, getting involved in their things and, and making them feel important in your life. And they're going to understand then that, you know, your passion and give you the time to do what you love to do. Okay. Well, you talked today about locating elk and you were able to able to go over like reading elk sign and stuff, which is gets overlooked at these camps. You know, you can't assume that these guys know the difference between a bull and a cow track and a difference between a, a bull bed and a cow bed. Take us through some of the things you touched on just for elk nuggets wise. Well, the, f- the first thing I touched on was I talked about 
you know, recognizing good elk terrain, you know, feeding areas, you know, typically early archery season, they're up on these steep faces, grassy faces, you know, at or around tree line. They have access to cover. They have access to water, you know, talked about that. And then we got into some of the real critical things about, you know, with the elk hunt for locating elk is really the first key is to find fresh sign. And, you know, we talked about some of the obvious like tracks and rubs and stuff, but then being able to recognize within those, you know, which ones are fresh, which ones aren't, um, you know, droppings is a really great way. You know, for example, in Colorado, I might see fresh, what looks like fresh tracks that in the dirt, they look perfect. They haven't been disturbed, but you know, if we haven't had any rain for a week, you know, if I don't see fresh droppings, I'm not convinced that the elk are there. They may have been there. So we talked about those kinds of things as yep. well. How do you differentiate between bull and cow droppings? Um, the bull you? droppings are going to be a lot more significant in size, less pellet-shaped like, um, bigger clusters. Um, that's really... Th and then the differences between a bull and a cow calf tracks. So differentiating between... Uh, bull and cow tracks, you know, the cow track is going to be more symmetrical to a point. Um, you know, it, they can be big because some of these cows run around, they can be six, 700 pounds on the hoof. Uh, whereas the bull track is going to have a more rounded toe. Yes. They're going to be sp split and you're also going to see the dew claws. Yeah. Yep. They're going to sink low enough to right into the earth to get those dew claws. And yeah, they are wider and the more mature animals... Yep. Less pointy. I get that. Uh, beds, how do you differentiate? So talking about beds, what we talked about with beds is is that, you know, if in fact I walk up on what I believe is a fresh bed, particularly in the dark timber where I've got, you know, a dirt floor, not grass, you know, if a bull or a cow, the first thing they're going to do when they get up is they're going to urinate. And if you're talking about a cow, of course, that urination uh, is going to be in the back of the bed um, towards their rump. If it's a bull, it's going to be in the middle of the bed. So obviously uh, you think about that, it's pretty obvious to think about, but you'd be surprised the number of hunters that don't really put two and two together on right. that equation. No, I feel that. What else did you talk to those guys about locating elk um, since that's pretty much the name of the game? You know, what we talked about is, um, of course, if the elk are talking and everything, you're finding sign, everything's going good. But we all know that spent time in the elk woods, that's, that can be – you know, not the norm. So what we talked about is when we're in those cold spells, the elk aren't talking, we're not seeing anything, what are we going to do? And what I talked about is what I like to do is I get, get up on high points and I like to, I pick drainages apart with my binoculars and I'm looking for game trails, I'm looking for uh, elk, you know, and if I don't see them in one drainage, I might move from one high point and go to the next. And I told the guys, being honest with you, if I'm really having a tough time and the elk aren't talking, I might spend an entire afternoon just trying to locate um, so that then I've got a, the next morning, I've got, I've got a game plan where I know that I'm going to be into elk. And, you know, well, that's not ideal, but there's times where we have to do that, that where location is everything. Uh, yeah, and it sets up your next day and you're not squandering the next day and it's just right. maximizing your time. Yep. So, Bob, I just want to finish with just saying thank you. Uh, you were referred to me by Dirk. You did not disappoint your wisdom, uh, your knowledge, and your just your vibe, your attitude, your energy. Like, you set a physical 
precedent for us to look at and go, oh, that's what I want to do when I'm 65. I want to be like Papa Elk, like yep. your grandkids call you. I want to <laughs> be like kids, Bob. My grandkids call me that, yeah. So you let these guys know, like, I guess just give your final summation of Elk Shape Camp coming into it as a subject matter expert and your first exposure to it. You know, first of all, I want to say thanks, Dirk, for recommending me. I appreciate that. And thanks, Dan, for the opportunity. I really enjoyed the chance to meet and work with you and your staff. I had a blast. And uh, I can't tell you how impressed I was with the camp and, you know, where there's needs in the future. I'm in. Count me in, man. It's a great deal. Great awesome. deal. Appreciate it. Where can people find you? You're on Facebook as well as I'm Instagram? on Facebook, yeah, under Bob Twilliger. And uh, also you can find me on Instagram. Look up Bob T756. And I will put links in the show notes for guys to click. And be on the lookout because uh, we'll probably see Bob in Colorado. And uh, this isn't the last you heard of him. So this guy is kind of, I don't know, man. I haven't met a lot of guys like you on your well, level. Thank you. So you're kind of creating a new template for us to look up to. <laughs> so thanks for doing what you do, man. Yep. Thanks a bunch. You bet. Awesome podcast with Bob. He is so cool, man. Just hanging out with him over the weekend. He, him and the guy feels like family, honestly. And uh, I just hope to be on his level. It's hard to describe like his physicality, his mentality. He's an elk hunter, true and true. I mean, he's got elk tattoos. The guy's the real deal cowboy. Thank you, Bob, for coming to Elk Shape Camp in PA, and we'll see you in Colorado. And folks listening and maybe getting stoked on Elk Shape Camps for 2022. Uh, we did seven this year. They were awesome. I, I definitely want to do some in 2022. I think we're going to try Super Camps. I think we're going to get more Bobs, more Joels, more Jason Phelps, more Dirk Durham, maybe the Elk Nut. We'll get bigger uh, subject matter experts like a team and then we'll just do a bigger camps like 40 50 athletes at a camp and we can all get together and uh, do stations rotations make it a full three days instead of two and a half so that's kind of looking into my crystal ball for 2022 obviously we have a lot of planning to do and and i look forward to that uh, this podcast is brought to you by crispy boots uh, these guys have been making boots a long time since uh, i think 75 and it's all italian made super legit and if you like a wider toe box like myself, look no further than probably, I would say, the guides or the Colorados. Uh, currently, I'm trying a couple different ones, just testing and tinkering. But, man, everything starts from the ground up. You even heard Bob say it. you got to have the right footwear. Crispies are the only boots I've ever worn that I haven't actually had to break in. That's no joke. That's no fluff. You know me. I'll shoot you straight. So check out Crispies, man. And if you're going to buy them, buy them from BlackOvis.com because I do have a discount code. Elk Shape will get you 10%. Some exclusions apply. Check that out. Want to give a shout out to Northwest Retention Systems. They make the Scout holster. That's where I keep my oh Glock when I'm hunting normal black bear wolf country. And I like my sidearm to be on my chest, not on my side. And so if you are a bear spray person, I tip my hat to you. I am as well, but I like gun spray as well. Northwest Retention. This guy, Tim Anderson, he's been on the podcast before. This was his side hustle. It turned into his full-time job, and it's all custom work. Super awesome. Check it out. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE. And last but not least, the Elk Collective, where a lot of our Elk Shape Camp material content lives and breathes. A lot of this exclusive stuff. Like, So if you want to see Bob's lectures or if you want to see Joel Turner's stuff 
or the Elk Nut or Dirk Durham or Jason Phelps or Brian Barney or Ryan Lampers. We have videos from all these guys, Chris Rowe. So check out the ElkCollective.com. Use the discount code ElkShapePodcast, all one word, and we'll knock $25 off the course. Get to studying because September will be here before you know it. Guys, you have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for picking this one. We hope to entertain, inspire, and educate. And uh, remember, separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one.